Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back everybody to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us once again. Uh, happy holiday weekend as it is Todd's birthday weekend. Happy birthday, Todd. Thanks. I think I may have said this on the podcast before, but growing up, I, I know I always got mad that there were fireworks on Todd's birthday, because Todd's birthday is the 4th of July, but there were never any fireworks on my birthday. It always made me mad. I didn't understand it until later. Honestly, there I still been, don't understand it. There have been fireworks going off for like the last three weeks. It's, it's ridiculous. That's a, That happened here, too. That happened here, too. Do you have a, a lot of fireworks in your area, Zach? Uh, yes, but uh, fireworks are technically illegal where I live, so naturally um, there are a lot that get blown off in my neighborhood. Oh yeah, they're illegal, <clears throat> well I know up at Upper Todd is they're illegal as well. Here I don't think they're illegal, but... What's, what, it, you know, it's the same thing with wearing a mask. Like, when someone tells you to not do something, what is the urgency to then suddenly do it? I don't get it. It's human nature, man. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't going to do it until you told me I couldn't. <laughs> so, my birthday is, is in March and Terry's is in May. My birthday happened right when COVID started. In fact, I think it was our first episode that we recorded in the COVID era. And I, and I so was, like, excited about the notion of having, like, an asterisk birthday in the COVID era. And then it didn't end. And now everyone has birthdays in the COVID era. I thought I was going to be one of the lucky few, but I'm, I'm sad to say. Welcome to the cl club, Todd. Join the COVID birthday club. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Zach, what are you drinking today? I'm back to an old trusty friend, my Sierra Nevada pale ale that I grabbed out of the back end of the refrigerator. Somehow, miraculously, still surviving, still kicking it in the COVID age. Very nice. Very nice. Todd, what do you got? I've got the Lone Hand Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. And it actually is a little sour, which usually sour mash is just like a name, I thought. But uh, it actually has a little bit of sour in it, but it's good. Very nice, very nice. I've got um, a uh, beer that's New Belgium. Let's see here, where is this out of? I don't know where it's out of, but it's their uh, Voodoo Ranger American Haze for uh, the fourth. We got American Haze. It's got nice. a skull... A skeleton basically dressed up as, like, Bruce Springsteen. He's got a guitar on his back. He's got a red, white, and blue bandana on his head. Jean jacket. You know, hardcore American there, so. And it's a ha hazy, so I it's pretty good. All right. Well, let's look at what we've been watching this week before we get to our featured review and uh, some other shenanigans we have planned for you today uh todd you're first what have you been watching this week uh so i gotta watch the oscar nominated movie from last year corpus christi it was nominated for best foreign film it's from poland and um it's about this guy who sort of gets mistaken uh to for a priest and after he gets uh out of jail and he sort of just goes with it and sort of gets in integrated into the into the priesthood and whatnot uh, and the movie is really like dark and 
uh, violent, but it, it kind of like meanders in the middle. It's like a two and a half star movie, but it has a really great lead performance. And it's technically a 2020 movie, so I, it's I, it's not streaming anywhere just yet, I don't think. I got it on DVD. Alright, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that, uh, that too. How did you get it on DVD? Uh, Netflix. <laughs> Yes, I think Todd and I are, are two of the few people who still do the Netflix DVD watches. Wow. Man, that's ancient. Do you also, like, go to Blockbuster Video, too? If there was one, I probably would. <laughs> the Blockbuster is now a subway. It is. It's true. It's true. I've seen it. All right, Zach, how about you? Okay, I got two movies to quickly report on. Um, one is uh, a movie called 1985 that uh, is directed by Yen Tan and was made a couple years ago. It's a black and white film that's currently streaming on Canopy, and it stars Corey Michael Smith, who's also maybe better known as, um, in Gotham, he plays none other than Edward Nygma. We were talking about Edward Nygma quite a bit last week, uh, the Riddler. Oh, yeah. So if you're a fan of Gotham... I know that guy. If you're a fan of Gotham, he's, he's the star of this movie. Anyway, this movie is set in, in 1985. That's why it's called 1985. And it tells the story of a guy who's in his early 20s, and he's gay, and he's closeted, um, and he goes home for Christmas uh, in 1985 to his family in Texas, and his mom is played by Virginia Madsen, and his dad is played by Michael Schickless. They are very much sort of a Christian, conservative, tight-knit family. And the movie kind of shows this 72-hour period in which he struggles to come out to his parents, also uh, touches on issues of the HIV, HIV pandemic. Um, it's a pretty interesting movie. Uh, it feels very much influenced by new queer cinema and feels very much like the director watched a lot of Todd Haynes movies and maybe some early Gus Van Sant movies. It's a solid three-star movie. Probably, it, there are moments of greatness in it. Probably could have gone a little further, but it has some solid performances. And i got to say, Virginia Madsen is never bad in a movie. I mean, I, I've never seen her uh, give a bad performance in anything. So she's on, she's on that list uh, with, with my, my main man, uh, JGL. The other movie that uh, I watched this week is was my number one most anticipated movie of 2019 but it never got a formal theatrical release in the states because of covid i'm assuming and that is the dardem brothers young ahmed and the dardem brothers directed my second favorite movie of the decade which was two days one night i guess they they are to directing what virginia madsen is to acting they never make bad movies and young ahmed is not a bad movie it's a very good movie it won, they won the best director at Cannes when it came out it was marred by some somewhat lukewarm reviews and i will say that it is not one of their best films it feels a little unfocused at times it tells the story of uh, a, a teenage boy named Ahmed, and he's growing up in this area of Belgium where the Dardens set all their movies. It's sort of an economically depleted and depressed area, and Ahmed is being kind of tempted into extreme radical uh, Muslim or uh, Islam, and so he is under the tutelage of this kind of radical imam, and uh, he commits an, or tries to commit an act of violence in, early in the movie for which he's sent away. And the movie kind of shows his rehabilitation a little bit, although we're kind of left wondering whether he's truly uh, deprogrammed or whether he still has these kind of radical uh, impulses. Um, the movie is very sparse in that kind of Darden Brothers way. Uh, it's probably too sparse. I could I could have actually used a little bit more detail about the background of the character and why he does the things that he does. And the ending is almost the exact same as another ending of another Darden Brothers movie, which sounds really you know vague. But if you've seen as many Darden Brothers movies as I do, you kind of understand their beats. I wish the Dardens had gotten a, maybe gotten a little bit more provocative in this movie. It kind of feels like they're sort of hedging on what they're used to traditionally. It's 
still a top ten movie of the year for me so far. It's a solid three star movie, and the Dardens uh, never make a boring movie, so it's it's recommended. It just isn't isn't one of their best films. I guess that qualifies right. as a disappointment since it was my most anticipated movie of the year. But it's hard to say anything about the Dardens as a disappointment. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I have two films that I'm going to talk about, too. Uh, First is my uh, anniversary watch for uh, this week, which was the um, nominated film in 2000 for Best Documentary, Sound and Fury. Um, And this was a really fascinating movie. It told the story of the Artinian family. And uh, this is a family where there are a lot of deaf people. And uh, you have these two brothers. One of them can hear, one of them can't. And um, the one that can hear has a baby that is deaf. And the one that uh, is deaf married a deaf wife and has three deaf kids. And it looks at the, um, the new technology of the time, a cochlear implant, which can allow deaf people to hear much, much better. And it, is, it goes through the debate of whether they should have the surgery or not. And it goes down a path I didn't really expect in that... Um, the the one that is most opposed to it is the brother who is deaf because of um, it would eliminate their child potentially from deaf culture. It talks about being deaf almost as if it's like a race of people instead of a disability and how there's this whole society and whole culture of people that are deaf and live together deaf and are proud of being deaf. And he was, um, he was uh, reluctant to take his family out of this culture because he grew up being proud of being deaf even though his five-year-old daughter is asking to be able to hear fascinating movie to see this whole family dynamic play out uh i'm giving it four stars it's an awesome documentary i wasn't quite sure what i was getting into when i started it but this whole story just completely fascinated me as it went uh as i went through uh, after I watched it, I had to search online to see what came next, and there's like a six years later check-in that's like a half-hour documentary that's on YouTube, um, and uh, yeah, just it's just fascinating to watch. So if you haven't seen it, find it, check it out. The other one I'm going to talk about is Hamilton. Hamilton uh, debuted on Disney Plus this weekend, um, and uh, it did not disappoint. I mean, if, if you are a fan of Hamilton, if you're a fan of musicals, uh, you know the music, um, and this definitely does the show justice. Uh, it is long, but that's just because it's a it's a long show, and it is a, um, a filmed pro- uh, stage production of the original cast. It was filmed about four years ago, um, and uh, after watching this, I wonder why more people haven't done this. Like, I feel like they should stop trying to make uh, film versions of musicals and just do this. Just film it on stage because they do such a great job of getting some great camera angles and everything. And this is how the story was meant to be told. And you can tell. And I just kept on watching it saying, man, if this was actually like a, like a, a real like theatrical movie, like they, they redid it to for film... It would not be near as good as this, um, but yeah, Hamilton. It's it's one of the probably the best musical written in the last what 20, 25 years. Maybe go back to maybe Les Mis or Fan of the Opera, and um, and it it's it is 
incredibly powerful story, incredible performances, incredible music, very, very moving. It has you riveted the whole time. It feels short, even though it's a little over two and a half hours long. Uh, four stars, best film of the year. It's weird, though, thinking of it as a film, because it's it's a filmed version of a stage production. But it's a movie, and it is, it's the best that this year has had to offer so far. I'm not sure I would consider it a movie. I haven't seen it, but I mean, I... It was planning to have a theatrical run, but it came out like a year early because of COVID. Yeah, I I watched part of it um, yesterday. First of all, I think it's very interesting that it's 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 released right now when I think there's a lot of uh, critical conversations about the founding fathers and their attitudes toward race and slavery. Um, but, you know, I think Hamilton is meant to provoke in some ways, and Lin-Manuel Miranda also said that it's not meant to be an exactly historically accurate record either. So, uh, from what I saw of it, I didn't watch the whole thing. I was entertained by it, and I, I agree with you, Terry. There was something that felt a lot more authentic about it, and it reminded me of, like, when, you know, when uh, uh, Chris Columbus directed Rent, and everyone just rejected that, and they thought it was so hokey and so inauthentic. Why haven't they been doing this more? I agree. I think from what it seems like, fans are really um, embracing this this uh, method. And they're able to get some great close-ups and everything, even though this is a like there's a live audience in the in the theater there, but they're able to get these great camera shots that really bring it to life. And you see how much they're able to act, even though they're on stage working through. It's yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So if you had to sing. A musical number from that show, it would have to be the King George number, right? That has Terry Plucknett written all over it. Oh yeah, that that's totally my it's, jam it's right your, there. It's your range too. <laughs> I can see yeah, it. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and uh, yeah, yep. And by by the end of it, uh, Atticus, my my son, watched some of it with us, and he was singing it. Da 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 da. He was singing that along too. And even my my daughter, who's not even a year and a half yet, was trying to was trying to sing that too, because so, it's just a catchy line. So does this movie get like any Oscar consideration? I mean, is it a movie? Like, does David Diggs get a nomination? Like, what, what 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 do we do with this? Like, okay, so I think I think it qualifies because it was planning to have a theatrical release next year, um, and the the qualifications right now are if you are released only on streaming but had an original plans to have a theatrical release, you qualify for the Oscars. So under that, I'm pretty sure this qualifies for an Oscar run this year. So yeah, we could see a David Diggs supporting actor nomination, or we could see a Lin-Manuel Miranda actor, writer, song nomination. Maybe not song. Nothing's original. <laughs> it's all adapted from the show. But well, um, I mean, if it does somehow get some nominations, I guarantee that they'll close that loophole after this after this year. Then, because I mean, that's kind of ridiculous that you could have a performance that you could be eligible for a Tony for and an Oscar just because you filmed it. I, I I think that's a dangerous path to go down. It has a 90, well, th- 99 on Rotten Tomatoes, though. I mean, well, and it's... and this isn't even this isn't even just that that loophole i mean if if everything had gone according to plan it would have come out next summer in theaters it would have been a blockbuster hit and been eligible for the 2021 oscars so Uh, yeah but i mean like uh fathom events and stuff have uh like live uh stage things being uh uh, shown in movie theaters and stuff like that and those things aren't considered movies yeah but that's like 
live recordings of the show. This was, and that's, but that's kind of what what this is, right? It's not like they like the, this is edited in any way, right? It's still it's it's the it's their live show. They just filmed it. They they filmed it over. They filmed three separate performances over a three day period and cut them all together and edited it in edited it into the movie that you see. That's interesting. I didn't know that. The, yeah. the the transitions are really smooth then because I never would have they, they are that. yeah yeah so uh, so yeah they they filmed they filmed several performances over a three day period and cut it all into the movie so they should have done like a Beyonce lemonade thing where one day they were wearing one color and the next day they were wearing the other and it messed everyone up <laughs> uh, well if you're interested in that check out Hamilton it's on Disney Plus right now um, awesome awesome show awesome movie. Okay. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. Let's get into our featured review of the week. And that is a new film that just came out on Netflix. And it is the new uh, rom-com Desperados. Todd, you're going first on this. Because you're the one that suggested we watch it. Tell us what uh, Desperados is about and what you thought. Okay, it's directed by Laura Pergolizzi. And uh, it stars Nassim Pedrad, uh, who plays Wes, who's a woman who can't really find love. And when she finds out her ex is getting married, I think. Like, she ends up going on blind dates. Like, she ends up going out with this guy named Sean, who's played by Lamorne Morris, uh, who's, like, her co-star on New Girl. And uh, the date ends in, like, less than a minute. And then she goes out with this guy named Jared, and she tries to act straight, even though, as they say, you know, she, nor she's a lot of things, but normal isn't one of them, so, I mean, she's obviously not being herself. They hook up, she doesn't hear from him, uh, she sends some, like, batshit crazy drunken email to him, but she finds out that he wasn't ghosting her, so she ends up traveling to Cabo to try to erase the email from all of his devices. Uh, the movie is bad, I mean, and there's no really mistaking that, like, all the actors are kind of... Uh, rolling their eyes at their own jokes, except for Pedrad. She's actually really good. It, it just kind of seems like a, a pre-serious, uh, uh, like, Sandra Bullock movie, or a post-serious, uh, Cameron Diaz movie. It's essentially, like, a late 90s romantic comedy, and, which somehow still has a big audience. I, I think a lot of the jokes fall flat, but some of them kind of work. Like, I mean, you have, like, a guy getting, uh, or, or the, she gets, like, slapped by a dolphin dick. I mean, that's not funny. But, like, when they're trying to flip a car and she's cursing out a goat, that is kind of funny. Like, Lamorne Morris is charming. Uh, Robbie Ahmed, uh, Amel is not. Um, Anna Camp and Sarah Burns kind of deserve their own movie, but all the other supporting characters are kind of annoying. Uh, it, it's definitely a Netflix movie. It's kind of the net, like a Netflix version of like Bridesmaids if you combine it with like Adam and Adam Sandler movie or something like that. It reminded me a lot of Amy Poehler's movie last year, Wine Country. It, 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 the one thing about this movie that I can say is that all the characters are not completely uh, like unbearable to sit to sit through. I mean, it is it is kind of too long. It's a hundred minutes, and it should have been at least fifteen minutes shorter, but. I don't know. I, I it's a one star movie. I I'm not gonna say it's like the worst thing I've ever seen, but uh, I mean I was mildly charmed by it. All right, uh, I'm giving it one star as well. Um, I I I like how you said it kind of reminded you of like a '90s rom com because that's what I thought of too. I thought of this was like trying to be one of the like late '90s Adam Sandler rom coms, late '90s early 2000s. 
Uh, but the problem was where in a movie like that, you have um, this main character who's insane, uh, always insane and crazy, but endearing and redeemable in some respects. And Nassim Pedrad's character has no redeeming qualities. Like there is nothing in her character that makes you want to root for her in any way. Um, I've never been a Nassim Pedrad fan. She was on SNL for a long time, and I never really understood why she was there or what her humor was. Um, and this, to me, this showed it again. Um, the the friends, like you said, the friends deserve their own movie. However, they have no business being a part of this movie. And then there's like a whole 15 minute like subplot with them and these characters you don't care about then and but you have to follow them down this road to the shaman's place that was just bizarre um i mean lamorne morris is okay but he is stuck having to fall for a girl that's impossible to fall for so um yeah uh one star i didn't get it at all um zach are you in agreement with us yeah, I think this is like, uh, you know, when when you're trying to get an expensive hotel room and your credit card is thrice declined, right? Can we say that? Thrice declined. Yeah, this movie was terrible. Um, it was uh, it was really hard to sit through. I had to sit through, I had to do it on two two separate times. I had to like actually put my phone like distance my socially distance myself from my phone. Uh, because it was it was painful to actually have to sit and pay attention to this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the dolphin penis kind of was when the when when the movie kind of lost me, like kind of jumped the shark at that point. Or maybe it was the cat that looked like Hitler, or maybe all the pedophile jokes. I mean, man, this movie was atrocious from start to finish. I would have I w- there are so many things I, I would have rather been watching. It, it reminds you that like. Sometimes watching horrible movies is like akin to torture. It, I mean, watching this movie was kind of torture. Um, I, I would, I, it, it, it's like waterboarding. Like someone, if you, you know, if, uh, they should, you know, terrorists should be forced to watch this movie because of how horrible it was. It made me nostalgic for Rob Schneider and, and maybe a little bit for Tom Green too. Um, it was awful. One star, completely agree. There's nothing more to say about it. Uh, except I will say that the premise was not a terrible premise. It's kind of like what Ebert says. A movie's not what it's about. It's about how it's about it. Like, I could actually see, you know, the idea of her going to these extreme lengths to erase a message that she mistakenly sends um, could actually be funny. I mean, it's a subplot in My Best Friend's Wedding. It's an entire episode of Seinfeld. It's been done well before. um, And the idea of a sociopath like this main character doing it um, could be interesting. I didn't, and also I did not mind seeing Heather Graham again. More, more roller girl in movies. I say. I mean, uh, you know, I feel bad for her uh, that she has. She's the best part of this movie. I thought, even though her story had absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the main storyline. But it was nice to see her again. I'm glad I wasn't the only one that, as soon as she popped up on screen, I went, "Oh, hey, it's Roller Girl." It was and nice it totally to see Roller was, Girl again, and it totally was a role that's like, "Oh yeah, this is probably what Roller Girl would be doing now in her 40s or 50s." Maybe. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's barefoot in that scene, though. True, true. Uh, all right. Well, not only is it I, this is the first one that's been thrice declined in a while, too. Usually, one of us is like, "You guys are crazy." I love this movie, or "You guys are crazy." I hated this movie, but all of us, all of us, equally hated this movie. We're all giving it one star. 
Um, it's available on Netflix if anything we said sounds appealing, but I say it's probably something you should stay away from unless you are incredibly bored and need or, something to watch. Or just recommend it to someone you hate with a passion. There we go. That works too. Okay. Good. Well, let's move on from that. We don't need to talk about that anymore. Spotlight. Uh, time to move into our spotlight segment. And for our spotlight segment this time around, we are going to be looking at the fact that we are halfway through 2020. And we always like to give a little bit of a look at the first half of the year, see what, what's been the best. Now, this has been a very weird first half of the year in that we didn't even have really... We had, what, two and a half months of theatrical releases, which is usually the worst two and a half months of the year when it comes to film. Uh, but there have been some quality films that have been put out there, so we're each going to go through our, our top three of uh, of the year and, and maybe shout out a bottom one of the year, too, the worst movie we've seen as well. So uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. That's what we're going to be doing. We're, let's just go uh, through three, two, one with each of us and... Uh, Zach, I'm going to you first. Tell us what the best of the year has been. My, my number three movie of the year is uh, 7500, which we reviewed last week on the podcast. If you want more details about it, you can listen to that episode. But uh, I was the only one that liked this movie, although I, I guarantee Adam would like it too. I don't know if he's if he's seen it yet. Adam, if you're listening, you know you, you agree. It's a good movie, um, which tells the story of a plane hijacking in uh, Germany. Uh, Todd and Terry were not big on the believability factor, and they also both thought it was extremely long, overlong and uh, boring at times. I disagree. I thought that the tension was really heightened throughout the movie, and it had good character development. Um, and it was a really interesting uh, movie. I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, my number two movie of the year is also a movie that uh, we've mentioned on this podcast that, again, I was the only one that liked it. Um, you guys are not uh, understanding what good movies are anymore. And that is uh, Tiger Tail, um, a movie that was made for Netflix, directed by um, Alan Chang. And uh, the movie tells the story of a Taiwanese immigrant, Alan Yang, excuse me, I got his name wrong, um, tells the story of a Taiwanese immigrant who uh, goes to the United States, I believe in the early 1960s, and kind of the movie uh, shows his uh, immigrant journey, um, uh, the conditions why he grows up in, in uh, Taiwan and why he's forced to leave. And then it kind of shows his um, adaptation in the United States. I think it's a, a really strong film in the sense that um, we've had immigrant narratives before. We've even had Asian American Im uh, narratives before. Not a whole lot, but some. Um, and this is, I think, the first time where we have a protagonist who is not totally likable, I would say, and um, also someone who suffers from a lot of homesickness and it's not just like uh, homesickness at the beginning of the story it's not like Brooklyn where Shearsha Ronan has to overcome her homesickness but it really becomes his entire life I mean he spends his entire life in the United States kind of still longing for um, you know his hopes and dreams that were cultivated when he grew up in, in Taiwan and he tries to reconnect with some people in his life over the course of the movie uh, Todd and Terry didn't see the greatness in it. I thought it was a beautifully shot movie with an important story and some awesome performances, and it actually went in some really unexpected and touching directions. Number one movie of the year for me so far. Non, no, no questions here. It was a movie that Terry recently reviewed. It is 
Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up the title. Can you help me here, Terry? Never, rarely, rarely sometimes, always. sometimes, always. never, rarely, yeah. some. I think I butchered butchered the title last week, if or the week that you were uh, uh, reviewing it. Um, I I apologize for that. This is far and away the best movie of the year. I can't say I've seen a whole lot of movies. I've seen 24 movies this year, but this is a movie that virtually will will guarantee uh, have a spot in my top 10 at the end of the year, and it would have its uh, top 10 spot even without um, the COVID crisis. It is a film directed by Eliza Hittman, who also made a really good uh, who's also made a really good movie called um, I believe it was called I thought it was love. No, it felt like love. Um, anyway, it tells the story of a young girl named. Uh, uh, Autumn, and she lives in kind of rural Pennsylvania, and she is pregnant at the beginning of the movie, and she goes to a pregnancy clinic, and um, she tries to get an abortion, and the journey that she takes uh, leads her and her cousin uh, to New York City, where they go to an abortion clinic, and uh, the movie is, I mean, it's like, it's like a good mixture of like four months, three weeks, and two days, but also a little bit of, um, uh, oh, what was I thinking? It's a movie... Oh, Leave No Trace. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I was reminded a lot of Leave No Trace watching the movie because it's uh, a movie that actually has a lot of, of quietness in it. There's not a lot of dialogue. And um, it's about a really painful situation between these two characters. And um, a lot of this, what's going on in the movie is unspoken, in part because what they're doing is something they're not telling their families. Um, and also in part because it's just really uncomfortable talking about um, getting an abortion. Uh, the movie kind of shows the stark detail that's involved in the kind of bureaucracy of getting an abortion as well, the kind of questions and answers that are very kind of personal and interfere with your life. Um, and it also kind of shows these girls as they're kind of lost in New York City in, in like the metro system. This is kind of an, an interesting New York City. We don't get a lot to see in, in, in movies. It's like the Port Authority and bus stations and things like that. It's not very glamorous. Um, it's a really fascinating story, though. And, you know, it doesn't sound like it's the most terribly interesting movie in the world. But honestly, there were parts of this movie that were as gripping as anything in, you know, Avengers or any kind of action movie. Like, uh, I love movies like this that really get your, your pulse racing because of what's going on with these characters that we've grown to care a lot about. And I think at the center of the film, Sidney Flanagan's performance, I think it's completely Oscar-worthy. I hope I hope the Academy remembers this film um, next year, as is Talia Ryder for, for Best Supporting Actress. But um, this is a really, really well-done film that I would highly, highly recommend. Never, always, no, excuse me, never, rarely, sometimes, always. I gotta get the title right. That's that's gonna be the problem with this one. But it's, it's an awesome movie. It's a four-star movie. Good, good. I'm glad you liked it. All right. I'm going to go next. Um, so I, I will preface my list by saying I, I just mentioned that Hamilton is the is the best movie of the year so far. I'm not including Hamilton on this list because Hamilton came out July 3rd, and so it technically wasn't a part of the first half of the year. So I'm just using that as an excuse to talk about more movies. Um, so I have had... Um, not counting Hamilton, I've had four movies that I've given three and a half stars to, and Hamilton's the only movie I've given four stars to this year. Uh, so just really quick shout out: the number four on that list is Onward. That's the one I'm not gonna. I'm. I don't have in my top three. Uh, number three on my list is The Gentleman, uh, the completely bonkers crime thriller with uh, uh, written and directed by Guy Ritchie, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, Jeremy Strong, Colin Farrell, Henry Golding. And hopefully we see the uh, first Academy Award nomination for Hugh Grant because he is insane in this movie. And so he's the best part of the movie. He's awesome. 
but it, it's just so much fun. It's a just a complete thrill ride going through this story, um, and it, it's a typical Guy Ritchie kind of you know crime drama, crime thriller. Follow what's going on, but um, it, it's it's just a whole lot of fun, and uh, and yeah, Hugh Grant is is nuts and i don't think you guys have seen this movie yet you need to watch it because it it's a it's a whole lot of fun it's one of the first movies from 2020 that i saw this year and uh it's it's lasted in my in my top three so go see the gentleman uh number two uh is the one that zach just mentioned never rarely sometimes always um i echo everything that he said it's a an amazing powerful movie i just talked about it in a recent podcast um so uh, if you want more of my thoughts, you can go listen to that. Number one is another movie we talked about, The Five Bloods. Um, and those two movies kind of go back and forth for me on which one's higher than the other. I think when I talked about Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, I said that was better than The Five Bloods. Now I'm saying The Five Bloods is better. Really, they're both just awesome. And, uh, yeah, we did a whole review on that, talked a lot about The Five Bloods. But uh, one of the, yeah... That definitely has a chance to be in my top ten at the end of the year. And just really quick before I move on, the worst movie I've seen this year is not Desperados. It's another Netflix movie called Mrs. Serial Killer. I mentioned it once on the podcast before. It's a it's a Bollywood movie on there where uh, a uh, a woman finds out that her husband has been accused of being a serial killer, and uh, she decides to uh, commit a copycat murder to try and clear his name. And it's just bad. So, it's on Netflix if you want to find it, but it's bad. So, there you go. Todd, top three. Uh, my number three is the debut film of Bridget Savage Cole and Daniel Crudy. Uh, it's called Blow the Man Down. And it, uh, it's about these two girls in Maine who uh, are trying to cover up a crime. And the, the underbelly of the of the town is like breathing down their neck and they, they have no one to turn to but themselves. It's a, it's a really good small town film. Morgan Saylor is the main character and she's a great actress despite how bad she was in Homeland. Uh, movie's got like June Squibb in it and character actress Margot Martindale. Uh, it's a, it's a dark movie. Exactly what I was looking for. It's on prime. It, it, it's really good. You should, you guys should check it out. Cause I know you guys haven't seen it. Only reason I knew about it, honestly, cause it was nominated for a spirit award last year. Uh, my number two I reviewed on this podcast at one point is called Inside the Rain, the uh, debut film by actor, director, writer Aaron Fisher about a bipolar college student who uh, is trying to make a film to uh, display or uh, of, of events that led to his expulsion uh, to try to prove that he's innocent. It's, it's a really cool movie, really funny movie and sad. It's got Eric, uh, Eric Roberts in there and uh, Rosie Perez. It's only got about 150 votes on IMDb, so uh, it's available like everywhere for free, so I, you guys definitely check that one out. And my number one, uh, pretty much by far, is The King of Staten Island, Judd Apatow's movie. Uh, it, it was a, a, probably the most personal movie that Apatow's made, either this or like Funny People, and... Pete Davidson is amazing in it. Bill Burr, uh, somewhat autobiographical film by, by uh, of uh, Pete Davidson's life. And uh, what makes this movie different also is that uh, uh, Apatow got the uh, cinematographer from There Will Be Blood to work on it. So it really has a, a, a lot more different look than most uh, like indie dramedies would. And uh, yeah, it's still one on demand and I, I still think it's worth paying 20 bucks to watch. 
and the worst movie of the year by far is the last thing he wanted by d Rees. and i i mean it's not even worth talking about the plot because it doesn't make any sense i mean it's this star-studded movie by a great director and it is just an absolute disaster nice nice zach did you mention your worst movie of the year Oh, it's it's clearly Desperados, un, unquestionably. <laughs> Needless to say, yeah. What what Very happened nice. with that Dries movie? I mean, Dries was such an exciting you know filmmaker. Was it her fault? Was it the studio intervening? Like, I mean, I know you don't want to address it. Maybe it's too traumatic to to talk about. But like, what happened there? I it, I don't the the story doesn't make any sense and. The actors are awful, and yeah, it, it is really misguided in, in its directing, too. It, it's uh, it's just a complete package of garbage. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. It's got 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't remember the last, like, real serious movie that by a distinguished director that had that bad of a score. Well, we were almost at the point where Rosie Perez was in your number one movie of the year and your worst movie of the year. That would have been impressive. What? What? What was she in that would have been the worst? Oh, was she in that? Yeah. I don't even remember her in that. <laughs> She's the third build <laughs> actor in it. That, that's not a Fourth. good sign. Fourth. <laughs> but okay. Well, uh, I will say, um, uh, before we move on, I, I posted on, on Twitter uh, just asking for people to give their best films of 2020, and I wanted to shout out uh, Malin181, who, uh, who did... Uh, respond and said his favorite is Defy Bloods. So there's a there's one uh, one vote there, and then I have uh, Adam's list, which is um, our our other contributor Adam Daly. He sent in his top three of the year so far and his worst film of the year. Um, so he starts off by saying Tiger Tail Tiger Tail would be in his top three, but he wanted to mention films that weren't going to be otherwise. So number three is Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. It, it's the 15th film in the DC animated movie universe and the 38th film overall in the DC animated original movies. Having so much build up, this film pays off. It has real stakes involved too, like big DC heroes die in the first 10 minutes. It's brutal and shocking and I loved it. Three and a half stars. Um, I, we, we could have guessed an animated Batman was going to make the list, but anyways. Uh, number two, Beastie Boys Story, a documentary off the very popular streaming service Apple TV+. It's a weird hybrid documentary where Mike D. and Adam Horowitz uh, tells uh, tell about their band's history to a live audience. Really loved hearing about this band's rise to stardom, the hardships of fame, and all the craziness in between. To quote Todd, I don't know a single person that has that service. <laughs> And number one, The Invisible Man. Easily my favorite film so far. Elizabeth Moss is crazy in this film. She shows that she is clearly one of the premier actors working today. Special effects are top-notch. I could see this film getting a few Oscar noms as well. And then his worst film of the year is Artemis Fowl, a film that had been postponed from last year and then the pandemic hit. Disney decided they should drop it on the streaming service. This is proof that Disney does have a few bombs, and this is horrible. If you need to know anything about Adam, like, that top three and bottom one is about the perfect representation of his taste that you could possibly <laughs> put together. He's got a Beastie Boys documentary, an animated Batman movie, and a horror movie. And then he's one of the only people that watched some terrible action movie. I mean, that's awesome. 
That's why that's why the four of us make such a great group because we have so such different tastes, such different um, avenues of film that we like to go down, and uh, and it makes for some great conversations and a great representation of pretty much everything you could find. So uh, there's the best and worst of the year so far, and uh, let's hope we get something better in the in the next six months as we uh, as we wrap up 2020. Did you have any honorable mentions that you wanted to point out? I just had a couple. Uh, I, I mentioned Onward. That was the one I had. I just wanted to say my, my number four and five films. Number four for me was Be- Becoming, the documentary about uh, that coincided with Michelle Obama's book launch. Um, that was a really good kind of look at, at her life. And then my number five film of the year is on Disney+. Plus. It is Stargirl, a movie I never would have thought would have been in my top five of the year. But it's actually a really good movie. Um, still worth checking out. I still remember it. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's pretty good. All right. That's worth that's worth looking up. Todd, yeah, do you the, have any the honorable one, mentions? The one that I probably should have put on there, but I didn't because I don't. I mean, eligibility is such a weird thing this year, so I, I didn't put on uh, the scheme, which is the documentary about Christian Dawkins and the uh, FBI probe into uh, college recruiting that I reviewed on the podcast. And uh, Onward and Horse Girl were also really close to uh, to my number three as well. All right. All right. So, let's move on from that. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And get into our power rankings. Uh, For this power rankings, I won last time, so I got to pick the category. And uh, I'm kind of curious how this one's going to go. Uh, this we're we try to do we're trying to do some all decade lists here as we're looking back at the 2010s and for this one we are doing the five worst films of 20 uh, from the 2010s that were nominated for an Oscar. What are the worst movies that the Oscars felt like they needed to honor with having a nomination? Because it's one of those things. I mean, you give a film a nomination and it's it's forever branded oscar-nominated you know norbit you know you can't take that back no matter how bad the movie is so what are the worst films that the oscars nominated over the last decade so uh yeah we're we're, we're gonna go with this you did you guys like this list there were a lot of options a lot of bad <laughs> movies so, so I realized as I was going through, I'm going to go first. I realized as I went through that um, a lot of the bad movies, I realized I haven't seen, which is kind of a bummer because it made this list kind of tough to make. But, uh, but I'm going to go with what I've got here. Um, I kind of put them into categories a little bit. So I've got, I'm going to do my honorable mentions like as I go along because I have like a main one for that category and then the honorable mention for that category. So number five... Uh, is highlighting the biggest uh, disagreements between us over the last decade in Oscar nominees of a movie that I didn't like. So number five on my list is Mad Max Fury Road, which um, I I probably need to revisit. I know I need to revisit it. Maybe it's because the first time I watched it wasn't in the theater, and uh, and so the home experience in this movie is vastly different than watching it on the big screen. Um, but I do not to this day understand why everyone thinks this is one of the greatest films of the last decade. 
Um, I mean, there's a lot of cool visuals, there's a lot of cool action sets, but if there's no story to actually go along with it, why should we care? And that was my biggest critique. There was no story in this movie. It was just action. And, I mean, why why does any of it matter? So, um, number five, Mad Max Fury Road. My runner-up for that spot of movies that we just all disagree on is The Tree of Life. That was the other one that I was like, you know, what what is going on with this movie? Why, why, why? But you guys love it, so whatever. I mean, both those movies were in my top, you know, 20 of the decade, so... Yeah, like, yeah. You're telling me those it, are... You, so you didn't actually do the worst movies, then, that's what you're saying. I, I, it was, it was a mix of the two. It was a mix of the okay. two. There, there, there's, there's movies I just think are bad, and then there's, there's also movies that, like, okay, this movie is pretty bad, but everyone else said it was good. That had to make the list as well. So... That's my number five. Todd, you're next. What's your number five? Uh, so, I was almost just did uh, all movies from 2011 because <laughs> I have like six that are all like <laughs> one star and below. But I chose the worst of them, and that is to have on the list, and I'm only having one from that year. It's a Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Stephen Daldry. It was nominated for Best Picture and Best Supporting Actor. Uh it was a nightmare of a movie. Uh, just as a distasteful, ridiculous, horribly acted, horribly directed misstep by an Oscar darling director. Uh, it's under fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes and on Metacritic. It, I, I don't know. It's just it's a it's about this like kid who's like trying to find a key or something that his father left behind and he died in nine eleven. I I don't know why this is a movie. Like Max von Sydow is like a god, but I mean his nomination is atrocious. Sandra Bullock and Tom Hanks, mixed with Stephen Daldry, I guess, is the only reason why the movie was nominated somewhere that wasn't the Razzies. It's a terrible movie, and uh, that's my number five. I thought about putting that on my list, and then I realized, looking back, that I actually liked it. I you just gave it, like, it. four stars? Yeah. I think I gave it three and a half. That's another one I need to revisit, because it's been way too long since I've watched it. All right, Zach, number five. Well, so far we're three for three on movies that I gave thumbs up to. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> fortunately, though, I'm going to go with a movie that I know all three of us gave thumbs down to. We talked about quite a bit when it came out. Uh, it, it's sort of just a, a laughably horrible Oscar nomination. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the 2018 Academy Awards, and that is First Reformed. This movie is terrible. We hate it. It is um, like laughably over the top. And the fact that it got a screenwriting nomination is particularly hilarious because it's the screenplay that is really the weak part of the movie. Like if you want to praise something about the movie, you could actually say it's competently shot. And Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried aren't bad in the movie. Tyler Perry actually is kind of interesting in the movie. But the, the story and the dialogue is like laughably over the top. Just uh, terrible and, and re reaffirms Todd's theory that Paul Schrader is not that great of a writer. I mean, definitely not a good director. Definitely not a good director. Okay, well, I'm sorry, I got that backwards. He's a good writer, but not a good director. Because Mishima's right. a good movie, and uh, we all like Raging Bull, obviously. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good pick. <laughs> All right, uh, number four on my list. So this spot went to, like, the uh, the big, like, blockbuster crowd favorite that got some Oscar Oscar love. And uh, I've got a couple um, honorable mentions for this spot that are more notable, but I went with the one that I think was probably the most disappointing for me. 
It was nominated for two Oscars in 2016. It was nominated for um, original score and production design, and that is Passengers, the uh, follow-up by Morton Tildum uh, after he did The Imitation Game, which was an amazing movie. Uh, This starred Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt on this in the sci-fi movie where they're in space and kind of get lost and and are alone in space and fall in love. I was so looking forward to this movie thinking it looked amazing and it really was a disappointment and it really bummed me out that it was. But uh, it had to be on this list as I was thinking about the worst movies that end up getting Oscar noms. I don't know if this movie would have gotten any Oscar nominations if it didn't have, you know, a director they had just nominated and two of the, you know, Hollywood elite of the last decade. Uh, the runners up for that position of just blockbuster film that was disappointing are Ford v Ferrari and Bohemian Rhapsody. So those are the runners up for that that spot in my top top five or bottom five, you could say. So. Those were much more notable films because they had Best Picture nominations. However, Passengers was probably the most disappointing of the three. Yeah, I tried to stay away from films like that because, quite honestly, yes, of course, Passengers is a terrible movie. Unwatchable movie. I couldn't even get through all of it. It was so bad. But, um, you know, the special effects on it were not the problem. And it's probably the, you know, the silver lining of that movie for the people that made it is at least they got some recognition I don't think they should suffer as a result of a terrible screenplay. But I see what you're saying, Terry. It's it, it, it's, it's pretty terrible to say the Academy Award nominated Passengers. Yeah, exactly. Well, like I said, the only reason it was nominated is because of who was in it and who made it. They had to try and justify Morton Tildum in some way. And I don't think he's made anything since. So. All right, number four, Todd. Uh, my number four comes from 2018. It was nominated for Best Documentary and Best Original Song, and that is RBG. Uh, and this is the perfect example of you can't make a documentary just uh, just about a good subject and that, that'd be like the only draw because this is as pointless and boring of a documentary as I've ever seen. And I don't have that Zach Saltz bullshit three-star floor for documentaries. So this uh, totally deserves a spot on this list. The only way you could enjoy it is if you challenge yourself to stay awake. You'll either feel victorious or you get a nap. That's so, a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie. Wow. That, that was like, that was an amazing quote there. Man, that was a hot it's, take. It's I feel like it's almost like, I don't know. I feel like Seth Rogen says something like that in Fortial Virgin, where he's like, "You try to you try to jerk off before you fall asleep, and because either way you win or something like that." I don't know. There's some I forget what he was doing there. Like, you remember that? <laughs> I, I think I know what you were alluding to. Yes. I'm not even going to. That made me where I came from. I'm not going to even validate that take with with a with retort, except to say there have been like 200 movies nominated for an Oscar, and you're going to pick on RBG, this documentary about a great American hero who also happens to be born on my birthday, so I have a special kinship with her. But like, that's like that's like going. It's a out terrible of, movie. It's like going out of your way to destroy a couple ant hills in Africa. You know, like. That's that's a line from a movie. I think that's from Contact. But yes, that's a that's a terrible <laughs> pick. There's so many better choices, Todd. No, I mean, I but I needed to highlight a documentary because there are a lot of bad documentaries, but they never get shit. So that there are some bad documentaries. That was not that was not a bad documentary though. So you gave that one what three and a half? 
I think I gave it three. And I remember quite enjoying it. And what's odd about it is I don't re- really remember what, like, I can't think of anything specific about that movie, why you would hate it so much. Like, to me, it was kind of like a, you know, it, it had a cool subject, but it was like a very competently made documentary. Did you not like the song? I didn't, well, I, yeah, I'd forgotten I it was not made for best song. song. Did you did you see the Felicity Jones movie where she was as, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Because that was not as good. Oh yeah, I mean that was pretty bad too. Yeah, the, the, but I don't think I, that got that, any that's Oscar what I was going to ask. What was better, RBG or On the Basis of Sex? I'd probably say On the Basis of Sex was slightly better, but I mean, I don't. I mean, you can't just have a, an, an interesting subject and I mean to have that be the draw of your documentary. It's I mean, I feel like we had this debate when we were talking about Willie T. Ribs. Like this is just a, a yep. philosophical debate between me and Todd about it, I, it. I don't, you know. Yes, I. I would. I would like to spend an hour and a half with that person, knowing their life. Who cares if the documentary filmmaker wasn't Steven Spielberg? You know, like, yeah, whatever. All Three right, star floor. <laughs> you know what? Just just for that, I'm gonna I'm gonna ch- pull an audible at the line of scrimmage here and change my number four, even though it's probably not wise. I'm going to go for a movie that actually won best documentary that I gave thumbs down to, if you can believe it. And that movie is the documentary Icarus, which won the 2017 best documentary award at the Oscars. I was not a fan of this movie. Like, okay, you want to talk about a documentary that was not particularly well made? This is where you want to look at, okay? It's not a bad movie, and it probably wouldn't be on my list unless Todd had triggered me earlier. But I will say that, like, it's a movie about... Uh, you know, uh, doping in bike racing. And so what the director does, he kind of does this kind of Morgan Spurlock thing, and he injects himself with a bunch of steroids and see how far he can get without getting detected. First of all, I think that's sort of a bullshit thing to do. Like, I, I think that's kind of slime ball. Like, you're, you know, you're, you're basically making yourself, uh, giving yourself a competitive advantage against people that have really, you know, honestly tried to be good athletes. Then the movie kind of goes in this other direction and talks about the influence of, of Russians, like, you know, giving, uh, like having um, uh, like illegal substances in their channels to distribute it, dis- distribute it to like athletes in the United States, cyclists and things like that. Um, I, again, I wasn't prepared to talk about this movie, but like it was a t- also it was a two hour and ten minute documentary. It was very long. It was like and there were so many pieces to it. It didn't really go anywhere. I remember Terry, I believe, reviewed it and, and liked it more than I did. But this is an example of a movie that again, your tots for mostly right. I give pretty much thumbs up to almost every documentary I see. This is a rare example of a documentary I give thumbs down to. And so I guess inevitably one best documentary. You kind of got to be kidding me there. Yeah, it's in my top ten of that year. <laughs> I remember liking it too, but uh, I don't know. Bloated, you're, the only, you're the only and, one that gives it a thumbs down, Zach. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, but yeah, I'm sure Todd's the only one that gives RBG a thumbs down. You know. I would rather my documentaries be, you know, uh, with moral people who don't try to pull this Morgan Spurlock bullshit and then make their documentaries way over long. All right. Moving on. Number three on my list. Yeah, let's move on. Number three on my list. So this spot was reserved for a bad film that was recognized for its good performances. Uh, So I'm going with... um, a film that had three Oscar nominations for actress, supporting actress, and makeup. It is a constant running joke about this movie between me and Todd because whenever we're quizzing ourselves on Oscar nominees of the last decade, 
we are bound to forget this movie over and over and over again. That's right. It is the Glenn Close starring Albert Knobs. Ooh, good one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie. I mean, it, it is it, it is such a bad movie, and it's so forgettable. It is so forgettable. Um, it's about um, a, uh, a woman who dresses up as a man so she can be a butler. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Glenn Close was nominated, Janet McTeer was nominated, and the makeup was nominated. And the performances, I guess, aren't bad. Uh, the makeup is not bad, but it the movie is just bad. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. I honestly don't really remember much else about the movie other than it wasn't very good, but it got a lot of Oscar love. Um, apparently Aaron Taylor Johnson is in it too, which I completely don't, don't remember. Mia Wasikowska is in it also. Uh, yeah, I've forgotten more about this movie than I will ever remember. And, uh, yeah, so my runner up for this spot of bad movie, good performance is the Iron Lady. Nice. Another makeup nomination. Another makeup nomination with a great performance at the heart, but not necessarily a good movie. I had completely forgotten about Albert Knobs. That is a good call, Terry. It's an easy movie to forget about. (laughs) That's the whole point. I don't even think I made it through. I I couldn't make it through the whole thing, I don't think. I I, I remember it being painfully boring. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Todd and I always, whenever we're together, we always try to go through Oscar nominees and quiz ourselves, and inevitably we will forget Albert Knobs, right, Todd? Absolutely. And that was Every one time. of the many 2011 movies that I was considering for this list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd. Number three. My number three comes from just last year. It was nominated for Best Cinematography, and that is The Lighthouse. And it's a it's a horrible experience watching the movie. It's about these like lighthouse operators living in seclusion who get drunk and delirious and fart a lot i don't know i mean the acting is not really the problem like willem defoe's like dialing it up to like charles lawton or something but uh and uh, i guess the cinematography nomination isn't that uh i mean i I guess i can kind of understand it because like the academy can't keep their pants on when they watch black and white movies but i don't know it's a horrible movie and i wouldn't wish anyone to actually have to sit through it. It, it it i cannot believe how popular it was yeah, I, I didn't think it was quite that bad, but I, I like your review of it. It's pretty entertaining. Almost as entertaining as Willem Dafoe's farts. Oh, the farts! <laughs> All right, Zach, number three. All right, my number three film is what I still stand as, I think, a top five disagreement in the history of this podcast. It was one of the very first episodes we recorded, and that is from 2017, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, a film that we still have some very strong feelings about. I probably shouldn't even bring it up. It just brings up bad blood. It's a movie that when I look on our uh, Almost Sideways website, almostsideways.com, check it out, Terry gives it four stars, number one of the year. Todd gives it four stars, number three of the year. And Adam gives it four stars, number eight of the year. And I give it two stars, which I think was being generous. I mean, I think I actually remember really thinking that this movie was more like a one-star movie. Uh, I, I, I haven't seen it. I, I, I should rewatch it. It's definitely in that kind of Margaret category, uh, history of violence category that maybe I, it was just the wrong day. Maybe just the, the, you know, the, 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 the neurons in my brain weren't firing, but I remember thinking this movie was terrible. Like the plot was very obvious. It, it, it wasn't even so much the whole like controversy with the film about, um, showing the, the, the transformation of the racist character, giving him a, uh, what a, uh, a, 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 a resurrection arc. 
Um, I don't have Redemption. a problem. Redemption arc, thank you. Um, I don't really have a problem with uh, Frances McDormand. I really like her her Oscar speech. I mean, um, and I don't even really have a problem with Sam Rockwell either. Those are both good actors. They're probably the best parts of the movie. So I can't totally blame the best parts of the movie getting recognized by the Academy Awards. But the fact that movie was so recognized and so widely praised, I don't know. What, I, maybe I was just doping on what that guy was taking in Icarus that day, and I didn't I didn't see its greatness. But uh, I I hated that movie. Yeah, I, I still don't understand why, but I mean, don't feel bad about bringing it up. I brought up uh, what I bring up: Tree of Life and Mad Max Fury Road. So, yeah, a lot of Best Picture nominees mentioned so far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, number two on my list. So this spot was reserved for um, the films that everyone tells me I'm supposed to love that I don't. And for me, that the, the, the leader in the pack on that is uh, a film that Zach has already mentioned. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. It's first reformed. Um, everybody loves this movie. And yep. I'm, I'm so glad that we all agree that we have no idea why. I mean, the best part of this movie was Ethan Hawke, who was probably sixth or seventh in the Best Actor race that year. But I, like Zach said... Paul Schrader getting nominated for the screenplay, that was the worst part of it. It didn't make any sense. Um, I don't understand why people love this movie so much. It, it, uh, yeah, why? Why? It's, it's, it's a bad movie. It's not a good movie. Um, and uh, the runner-up on uh, for that spot is a film I mentioned recently on the podcast, and that's Carol. It's another one I just don't get, and everyone tells me I should love it, and uh, I just don't. I just don't. So, there you go. I think I compared it to Notes on a Scandal last time. Yeah, that was My, minus the minus the dead cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are no cats in that movie. That's what I said. <laughs> there, there are no cats in the making of this movie. All right, Todd, Judy, number two. Judy Dench probably was in Carol, though, right? No, she had to be. She, she had, had to be. To in be. Carol. She, she was probably in the background at some point. Yeah. If yeah. not, that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> Stalking Kate Blanchett. <laughs> Alright, well, for my number two, I went to a movie, I'm probably, like, one of the only people in the world that actually saw it. It was nominated for Best Actor, and that is Roman J. Israel Esquire. <laughs> oh, I knew um, that was going to yeah. pop up on your list. Den uh, Denzel was nominated, he plays a defense attorney, and uh, it's, like, a really boring movie by a director who made one of our favorite movies of the decade, Nightcrawler. I mean, I don't really... I don't really know how you go from something that exciting to something so bland and so forgettable and, and I mean, honestly kind of bad. I think Denzel actually is really genuinely bad in this movie. And I, I think the only reason that people nominated him or were thinking about nominating him because they felt bad because he didn't win the year before. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a terrible movie. And I, 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 it was one of the first ones I thought of. I was like, yeah, that, I mean, why? And so Roman J. Israel Esquire. Don't watch it. All yeah, right. I, th I think that came up on a recent episode of our podcast. I didn't even remember that movie existed until it was brought up. And then the only frame of reference I have for it is, um, I think uh, uh, it was used as a joke in the Stefan bit, the Bill Hader Stefan, one of his last Stefan bits. Uh, he, he mentioned Roman J. Esquire, like as a place he, he went clubbing in New York City or something, or someone he went clubbing mm -hmm. with. I don't know. That was more entertaining that, than the movie. 
That may have been on the same episode where he said the best club in uh, in New York was based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Zach, number two. Okay, number two for me is uh, a movie that I believe we all hated. Um, inexplicably got like eight Oscar nominations. Only one one Oscar for makeup, but uh, boy, it's a movie that uh, I we're going to have to explain to future generations why it ever got nominated for any Oscars, and that is Adam McKay's Vice from 2018. Ooh, just a, a really bad trip, man. I mean, you know, Christian Bale, are we going to give him an Oscar every time he puts on 50 pounds? Like, I remember, you know, there was a lot of build-up to this movie. The trailer actually looked pretty cool. You got Amy Adams, you got uh, Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush, you got Steve Carell as Donald Rumsfeld. What could go wrong with this movie? And the answer is everything. I mean, it came off as really amateurish, like a Saturday Night Live sketch. It's very high concept. You can tell this movie was really unstructured at the screenplay level. It feels like like miniature, like, sketches, one after another. There's no, like, through line with the story at all. And, I mean, th there's also this kind of political issue which is that who really wants to watch a movie about Dick Cheney? It's just not that. It's just not that captivating, um, especially from a left-wing filmmaker who's critical of, of Dick Cheney. It's sort of low-hanging fruit. So uh, I expected better from Adam McKay. This is a horrible uh, waste of time. It's like two hours and fifteen minutes, and um, it just leaves a really sour taste in your mouth. Didn't Terry have it on his top ten of the year? I don't think it was top ten, but I did give. I did like it, and I gave it okay. fairly high. Well, you saw. Yeah something in it that uh i didn't see yeah it was a yeah. terrible movie that that, that I, was definitely considered for mine as well. i like that movie i don't know you like the part where, where uh you know dick and lynn cheney were speaking to each other and shakespearean you know ionic pentameter because actually yeah, was running was out of ideas cool. <laughs> that was pretty cool or when the movie Rock, rockwell eat chicken though that was kind of kind I let, my favorite part was when the movie ended at the 90-minute mark because I thought it was actually over. And then it was like, oh, wait, it's not over. Again, only two bits I remember from that movie. Rewind that. Des desperate. I will say, Sam Rockwell's Oscar nomination for that is one of the worst of the decade. So, there is that, but I thought it was a good movie. All right, it's now to number one, the worst Oscar-nominated movie of the decade. So, this number one spot... Uh, is a movie that actually popped up on my bottom five of the decade that we did it back at the beginning of this year. Um, and I don't know if it's necessarily that bad, but the the scope and scale and talent behind this movie and then how bad it ended up being puts it here. It's The Post. Um, yes. The, it, yeah, The Post. It was nominated for two Oscars. It only got two nominations. And those two nominations were Best Actress and Best Picture. Somehow it got got that. Anyways, uh, it's Steven Spielberg and it just Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, I you name Sarah Paulson, Bob Odenkirk, Tracy Letts, Bradley Whitford, Bruce Greenwood, Matthew Reese, Allison Brie, Carrie Coon, Jesse Plemons, David Cross. This loaded cast, iconic director, Oscar-winning writers. And it's just horrible. It's a bad movie, especially considering it's about a very similar time in history as something like All the President's Men, even about the same freaking newspaper. And it is such a worse version and so bad. I just, I, I yeah, it, it's, it's bad. It's bad. From the Oscar-winning writer of Spotlight. <laughs> 
too, right? Yeah, yeah. The guy who wrote Spotlight writes another movie about, you know, investigative journalism, and it just completely fell flat. So, yeah, that's my number one. Um, and the runner-up for this spot, the, this uh, this spot is the crappy Steven Spielberg spot, and the runner-up is Warhorse. Uh, I could have I could have put Bridge of Spies there too. I mean, there's a lot of crappy Steven Spielberg in this last decade. So I think you gave it thumbs up, Terry. I think I did give it thumbs up, but it was also <laughs> I mean, looking back on it, it's kind of a disappointment. But I gave I did give Bridge of Spies thumbs up. That's why I didn't have it listed there, but I thought about it. Anyways, the post Warhorse. What happened to Steven Spielberg this decade, man? Yeah, what? What? His only good movie was Lincoln. Yep. Or um, the uh, what was uh, Ready, Ready Player One wasn't bad. Oh, that's true. But that was like that was going back to his like blockbuster uh, roots, which is where he's really been his best. Is when he's doing stuff like like Jurassic Park and Jaws and and things like that. Minority Report. But when he goes for Something about him going for the Oscar this last decade, it just does not work. I think it's funny, you also gave his documentary a thumbs down, which, so maybe, I did. maybe you're just souring on really? Spielberg. <laughs> well, I gave you like his documentary, documentary a thumbs down because it was like a, a Spielberg worship session. They weren't, they, no one was willing to say anything negative about the guy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you had some bad movies and some flops, but let's just talk about the good ones and pretend we liked the bad ones. Sounds like you have some bad things to say about him. Maybe they should have contacted you to be in the documentary. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, it was like he directed his own documentary. That's kind of what it felt like. It's like, let's tell everybody how amazing I am. Um, and that, because, yeah, that's, that's all it really was. It wasn't anything like, let's examine this guy's career. It's let's just say how amazing his career has been. Which he's had a great career, but he's also had some real issues in his career. And The Post and Warhorse are two of them. Okay, Todd, number one. Okay, you had a uh, Meryl Streep movie, number one. I do as well. There was one answer for what is the worst Oscar-nominated movie of the 2010s, and it is August Osage County. Ooh, yes. I think that was going to be on yes. your list. <laughs> Good call. Nominated for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. It is Oscar-begging at its worst. Uh... They, everyone in the movie is unlikable, and I don't know. I, I think it takes place at like after a funeral or something of the father. I'm not really sure, but um, the acting is all really overdone. In, in movies like this, you need some sort of relief from misery, and you don't ever get it. Like Tracy Letts has got to have a lot better plays, but this one is, it's bad. There's no witty conversation. There's no comedic relief. There's nothing. It just sits there. It's a terrible movie. I think I gave it like a half a star. It, uh, yeah. Number one, by far, August, Osage County. If I had seen it, I might have put it on the list. Yeah, it's a it's a horrible movie. But it is sort of saved by the fact that it's such a cluster of a movie with all these big actors going way over the top that it's not completely unwatchable. I disagree. I mean, it's bad. It, you know, but I would rather watch that than Albert Knobs, though, you know? Well, that, that's that's high praise if, right there. If those are the two choices, <laughs> I don't know. 
Uh, all right, Zach, what's your number one? All right, well, originally I thought this list was the best Oscar-winning films, so I changed my number one. I'll, so I'll mention what would have been my number one later, but if we're just going off nominations, um, I think I pretty clearly have to go off of what was my, no my number one worst movie of last year, which was Ford v. Ferrari. Somehow, inexplicably, won two Oscars. Um, anytime you're a worst movie of the year for me, and the fact that you get Oscar nominations usually is not a good sign. Um, this movie was uh, pretty much the exact opposite of everything I like about movies. It was infinitely long, about a boring subject matter, with characters that were broadly draw drawn cliches, with stupid comic um, uh, interventions, um, very unoriginal cinematography. The editing that one, give me a break. I mean, yeah, put in some loud noises and some really rapid cuts between the, the cars racing. Very interesting stuff there. Doesn't even really tell the story. I mean, it tells a potentially interesting story in the most mundane, routine way possible um the races the race scenes are unending there was a better movie this decade called rush that uh, i think told a similar story to a much greater effect and uh this is a movie that um again I, when i saw it i knew the oscars would love it it's the type of movie that they totally embrace and uh it's it's really you know the worst thing about the academy awards is movies like this yeah that was a thrice declined best picture nominee that does not happen very often <laughs> yeah it's true it's true all right Let's get into honorable mentions. I've got one more uh, thing to mention for honorable mentions. So I mentioned all most of them, but I had a sixth category I couldn't fit into my list, and it is simply the my lowest rated movies. Like I, I like I said, I was going for like most notable bad movies, but my lowest rated movies that got nominated for an Oscar. There are two of them. Both actually were nominated in 2010 for best makeup. Uh, one is The Tempest, and the other was the winner that year, The Wolfman. Those are two horrible movies, and uh, yeah. So those are those were my other was two. Was it Barney's uh, version the other nominee that year? I think it was. And that and was I another did not, movie you didn't like. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that one either. <laughs> Terry, not a fan of the makeup category. <laughs> of 2010. I will say one of the things I noticed, though, is some of those categories that usually have the crappy movies in it, they've been doing a lot better the last few years of at least nominating good movies that have good makeup. Not just nominating... Well, this had good makeup. It's unbearable to watch otherwise, but it had good makeup. No no more Norbits are getting nominated. Click. Click, yeah. All right. Uh, Todd, honorable mentions. Uh, so I guess going from most recent to, not, uh, to back toward 2010, I have Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker from last year. I, have, I also have Vice, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Victoria and Abdul. I don't even remember anything about that movie. Uh, Suicide Squad, Captain Fantastic, Bridge of Spies, uh, the Chilean movie from 2012 called No. Uh, that was just a bad Pablo Lorraine movie. And then all the 2011 movies, War Horse, Albert Knobs, A Better Life, Beginners, and Bridesmaids, all were nominated for major Oscars, and I didn't even go past that. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done with 2011. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. I have to correct a mistake really quick. The Tempest was nominated for costume design, not makeup. Which is just as bad. Okay. Zach, honorable mentions. Okay, I'm going to go off of... Uh, uh, so, there's... Um, I was going to say Green Book and Birdman had this list been about best Oscar winners. Um, 
And I think they, but I think they maybe unfairly get a bad rap because they shouldn't have won Best Picture. Are they that bad movies? Eh, it's debatable. I mean, I, I know I especially hate Birdman more than both of you do, but maybe they, maybe it's a little unfair. So that's why I, I didn't put them on the list, even though I really wanted to. I also had Animalisa, which Todd memorably described to me as a total Zack movie. And when I went into it, I, uh, I just wanted to vomit that someone would recommend that movie based on them thinking that I would like it. Uh, just a terrible, terrible experience. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Good call on Captain Fantastic. I also had that on my list. That's a terrible movie that inexplicably got an Oscar nomination. I don't know how. Uh, are we also forgetting about uh, one of the worst Oscar-winning performances this decade, Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour? Terrible movie, terrible performance. You also have The, the Impossible with uh, Naomi Watts. I would put Manchester by the Sea in this category. I was not a fan of that. I did not like Hacksaw Ridge. I also have a special category of uh, movies about uh, airplane pilots, that we can include, which would include Flight and Sully, both of which sucked and both which got Oscar nominations. And uh, I would include also The Fighter and Room on uh, my list as well. Wow. Okay. You're crapping on all sorts of good movies. Isn't that the point of this list? I, I would <laughs> it rather is. It is. I would rather watch The Post over all of those movies. I gave The Post three stars. I, I don't know what, what you didn't see in it. I thought it was actually a pretty good movie. Yeah, oh, but you boring. also liked RBG, so... Yes. <laughs> I did like RBG. Uh, Alright, well let's move on to our game. It is time to look at what Adam selected for his list of the worst Oscar-nominated films of the last decade. Um, Alright, here's, here's my prediction. Number five, The Danish Girl. Another movie we didn't mention. Uh, number four, Suicide Squad. Number three, Ferdinand. Number two, First Reformed. Number one, The Rise of Skywalker. Okay. God, what do you got? I have number five, Iron Man 3. Number four, The Hundred-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared. Number three, Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Number two, August Osage County. And number one, The Judge. Ooh, how do we forget oh. about The Judge? Did we see The Judge, though? I never saw it. <laughs> I never saw it. Yeah, I, I tried to watch it. <laughs> so Adam's the expert on it. We should ask it. We, he should do a review of it. Um, my list for Adam was number five, The Great Gatsby. Number four, Suicide Squad. Number three, The Iron Lady. Number two, Danish Girl. And number one, Green Book. Okay. All right. Here we go. Adam's list. Dishonorable mentions first. He's got Harriet. First Reformed, Captain Fantastic, The Judge, The Impossible, Alice in Wonderland, and The Wolfman. Well, there so goes my his, number one. Yeah, there's his dishonorable mention. Number five, Suicide Squad. This is another instance where Warner Brothers starts meddling with the director's vision. They pivoted hard off the criticism of Batman vs. Superman and decided to make their version of Guardians of the Galaxy. Had some bright spots, but was mostly just song montage after song montage. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Mm. Number four, Green Book, a film that has several issues surrounding it. Uh, Mahershala Ali is good in the film, but I feel he was doing the best he could with his material. I would recommend going back and listening to the podcast. Episode 29, basically everything Todd and Zach said about the film, I agree with. I liked Green Book. Anyways, uh, number three, The Boss Baby. The worst thing about this, I picked the wrong wow. animated film. I knew an animated <laughs> film was going to be on there, but I went with Ferdinand. 
The worst thing about this movie was that my daughter had it on repeat once it hit Netflix. It also got a Netflix TV show now, too. Insert uh, groans from the parents. It's not funny or visually interesting. Also, we need to stop casting Alec Baldwin in films just to have him do Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross lines. When this film comes on, we need to remember our ABCs. A always, B, B, C, changing the channel. Oh, nice. nice yeah, done. yeah. Number two, The Danish Girl. By far the only good thing about this movie was the breakout star Alicia Vikander. She was good, but got the nomination for this film instead of her amazing work in Ex Machina. This is a pure Oscar bait type of film. I don't recall much of the overdramatic film other than I watched this with Todd, and I know he hated it too. <clears throat> That's true. And number one, August Osage County. How does IMDb have this rated at 7.2? This has got to be one of the most overrated Oscar-nominated films that everyone has forgotten about once credits roll. The all-star cast is completely wasted here. I was really just not interested in any of the characters because they all came across unlikable. Okay. Wow, we actually agree. (laughs) Yeah. I got two. I think Zach got three, though. Yeah, I got three. I I got August Osage County. That's it. That was it. Zach, I think you win. I win? Wow. This is this is unusual. This is like when Scorsese won his Oscar. Man, I don't know what to say. It's been so long. I've been working for 37 years. Wow. <laughs> you sure you want to check the score? Or whatever he says. Check the card. Check the card, please. <laughs> well, that is Zach's 13 and a half win. Uh, Terry has 14 and I have 20. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not really trying to say that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Uh, <laughs> so Zach gets to pick our category for uh, for next time. We have power rankings in a couple weeks. All right, trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Uh, so last time on trivia, if I remember right, how did this play out? I won, but I was, uh, but I had just picked films for everyone, so yeah, you're not supposed decided... to be able to win twice in a row, <laughs> right? But I, right. I, I gave, I gave my, uh, my trivia hosting uh, rights up to Zach because he wanted to do the best film scores, which was an awesome category, by the way, uh, for me, not for Todd, but no, for me, not it so was much for Todd. <laughs> Well, you only so, got three right, too, Terry, so... True, true. But I actually knew some of them instead of you just blindly guessing. Um, so uh, so what we decided was I would host trivia. However, we all picked films for each other to watch for, uh, for this part. So uh, we have three films to talk about. Each of us watch something, and then uh, I've got trivia ready to go. So we are going to start with Todd. Tell us about what you had to watch. Uh, Zach made me watch the Ursula Meyer movie Sister, which he was number one on one of his lists. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, Best love but, stories. Ah, there it is. Uh, it's about this kid named Simon. He's a young boy, and he lives with his older sister Louise in a cabin near a ski lodge. And what he does is he goes and like steals stuff from the patrons, and then refurbishes it, and then uh, sells it to other people to make money. There's sort of like a point of contention because he is supplies everything for her, him and her, even though she's much older. 
And uh, the acting's pretty great. Leah Seydoux is uh, is the sister, and she's awesome. And Casey Motet Klein is Simon, and he, it's a great child performance, one of the best of the decade, I would say. But my, my favorite performance in it is Martin Compton uh, as Mike. He's like a resort worker uh, who uh, catches him hoarding a bunch of supplies, and then he ends up partnering with him. The, the, there's a reveal about two-thirds of the way through the movie that changes things, but it's not done in a way that is, like, overly obvious or or, or whatever. It, it kind of is in that vein of, like, Frozen River and Winter's Bone, these, like, slice-of-life movies. I think if it was uh, an American movie, probably would have gotten some Oscar nominations. It drags a little bit in the middle. That's the only reason why it's only at three stars, but it, it is a good movie. I, I, I liked it. All right. All right. Yeah, I think it's one of the underrated movies of the 2010s. I, I really love that movie. Yeah, cool. it, it, I could see that watching it. I was like, yeah, this feels like a this feels like a Zach movie. I mean, you got de- depressing European, you know, class warfare. It's everything. Everything you look for in a Zach movie. All right, well, Zach, why don't you tell us about the movie you had to watch, which is, I would say, another Zach movie simply because it was a documentary. That's true. Although not a doc- <laughs> not a documentary about bike doping, bike race doping, <laughs> or RBG, or RBG. Hey, I like that one. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, although this one actually has a lot more in common with RBG than than Icarus. Um, That's very true. But, or maybe it's a strange combination of them both. I don't know. Um, the documentary is Mercury Thirteen, which was on Terry's uh, best films under a thousand views. It currently has eight hundred seventy-two views. So so it's getting there. You know, word of mouth. Um, apparently Terry saw the advertisement for this movie on the Smithsonian Channel. Sorry, was I not supposed to say that on air? But that, you can that, say that. That, that, was, that was a funny anecdote. Because I had never heard of this movie at all. Um, it is a documentary that looks at the 13 women who went through um, rigorous testing in preparation for spaceflight in the 1960s. Um, one of whom's name is Jerry Sloan. And when you mentioned Jerry Sloan, we thought you were talking about a basketball documentary. Um, so uh, the doc- it's a really good documentary. I mean, Terry's absolutely right. I, I-, I eat this stuff up. It's a really kind of uh, interesting look at um, preparations for the space race, but from, from people who were kind of on the periphery, in part because they advocated this crazy notion that, hey, maybe we should also be equal and who we're testing out as astronauts and not just have these crew-cut white dudes who are all 5'11 and under. Um, maybe we should have some women up there, too. And believe it or not, there's some great women pilots. I also could not, uh, I could not deny that there were parts of this movie that felt a lot like a league of their own like with some of the newsreel footage i kept on expecting to hear john lovitz's voice and maybe a mention of marla hooch or betty spaghetti um but it's you know it's the league of their own of of the space race i guess uh it's a really good documentary i do have to say that uh, without revealing too much this movie broke my heart because growing up one of my heroes was john glenn i had a a big poster of john glenn (laughs) in my room when he went back up in space in, in 1998 when he was like 80 years old and john glenn is a dick in this movie i mean he was not very um, uh, equal rights supporting, shall we say, and uh, it was it's sad to see, but you know that happens a lot when you you grow up and you realize that your heroes weren't all uh, what they were made out to be. Um, I think it's a pretty powerful, inspirational story, though. It's just the right length. It's like an hour and fifteen minutes, perfect length for this kind of material. Some great interviews, some great footage. What's not to love about this movie? Three stars. It's a solid choice, Terry. Good call. I I knew you had to like this movie, and I knew you had to watch this movie. I, oh, I was yeah. shocked that you had never even heard of it before. Well, apparently no one has heard of this movie. More people should hear of it. It's it's uh, it's it's a really great experience. Good, good. All right. 
Well, uh, for my movie I had to watch, uh, Todd picked this one for me. It was off his best love stories the last decade. And it is 2013's A Spectacular Now, which somehow I missed when it first came around. Um, it uh, stars Miles Teller, Shailene Woodley, and Brie Larson. Kyle Chandler, Jennifer Jason Lee are also in there. Bob Odenkirk, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, it's really interesting wa going back and watching this now because I think the biggest star of this movie at the time was probably Shailene Woodley just coming off of The Descendants, almost getting an Oscar nomination for that. But then you, uh, other than, you know, some of the the older guard that, that's around for this. But then, like, everybody in this movie became a big star. Like, Miles Teller's huge. Brie Larson is huge now. Um, it's really interesting. So... Uh, you have you have Miles Teller's character Sutter Sutter Keeley, who is this party hard guy in uh, in high school, um, and uh, he breaks up with his girlfriend Cassidy, played by Brie Larson, then ends up falling for the non conventional choice in Amy, played by Shailene Woodley, and um, it, it's it's just a really it's a really fascinating story. Um, honestly, I felt like this uh, was like. I, I just watched this other movie, which is why what it, why it made me think of it. But it was like, You Can Count on Me if the kid in You Can Count on Me was 10 years older when it was made. Because like, you have a very similar plot line of, I'm living with mom. I don't know who my dad yeah. is. And what's a, what's going on with my dad? You, I mean, it's very, very similar. There's a lot of parallels there. Um, but all, all the, main, the main characters give great performances. Miles Teller, uh, I mean, shows he's once again just great and i can't wait to see him actually break out into being the big star he needs to be um brie larson is solid in her supporting role um and it's weird to to watch films from the early 2010s like this and like scott pilgrim where she pops up in these tiny minor roles and then think that she's like one of the biggest movie stars around right now and then you've got shailene woodley who completely fell off the planet after uh the divergent series completely flamed out so uh, it's a very interesting movie to go back and watch. Uh, I was really engaged by it. Uh, Three-star movie. Uh, a solid watch. A solid movie. Really interesting characters. Uh, interesting story. So, yeah. That's where I'm at with it. Good choice, Todd. Cool. Cool. I'm glad you I'm glad you liked it. I, yeah. I, I obviously like it more than you, but that's that's cool. <laughs> it is a Todd movie. It is, it is a Todd movie. Okay. So... Uh, it's time for trivia now, and I've got I've got two categories here that we're going to go back and forth with, uh, and let's see here. Hmm, which one do I want to start with? Uh, we're gonna we'll we'll start with this one. Okay, so here's our here's our first category. I'm gonna say Todd's gonna start this one out. So here's here's the category in honor of in honor of Hamilton coming out on uh, as as a as a movie this. Uh, this weekend um hamilton is the seventh highest grossing broadway musical of all time um and so what i what this list is is what are the other 24 films in the top 25 highest grossing musicals of all time now let me give you a couple stipulations with this list the list i found is um is since 1982 so this is since 1982 and it is not adjusted for inflation. So like I said, Hamilton is number seven. You're going to come up with the other 24. 
and I just realized I have to keep track of the score. So give me one second. So are you? Talking, I'll let you guys think for a little bit. Well, I have a I have a question. So yes. are we t- are we talking about musicals that were based on movies or movies that? No, this is Broadway. Broadway box office for musicals. Broadway box office for musicals. So they didn't oh, even have since to be made. They didn't even have to be made into a movie. Nope. Wow. Okay. Most of them, I will say this, most of them have, but they don't have to have been made into a movie. Okay. Okay? All right. And by the way, just so you know, Hamilton has made $612 million on Broadway so far. And it opened in 2015. And that puts it at number seven. All right. Todd, you are first. Cats. Cats is number 10. It made... Uh, four hundred fifty-three million. Les Misérables. Les Misérables is number nine. It made five hundred fourteen million. Uh, Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Opera is number three at one point two billion. Rent. Rent is number 17, 274 million. The producers? The producers, number 16, 288 million. It was only on Broadway for six years. Zach? The Lion King? The Lion King is number one, $1.65 billion. Uh, Dreamgirls? Uh, Dream Girls is incorrect. Zach, there's a lot still out there for you. Um, I have one, but I'm I'm not so sure about it. Um, Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia is number six. Um, a chorus line. Uh, I think Chorus Line's too old. Yep, okay. not on the list. All right. All right, so... Uh, I was thinking Zach In the is, Heights. In the Heights is not on the list either. What about I think Jersey, it's a little Jersey Boys? Thing. Jersey Boys is number eight. Uh, so here's the rest of the list. So number 25 is Aida. 24, Spamalot. Number 23, uh. Billy Elliot, the musical. Number 22, uh, Matilda, the musical. Uh, 21, Spider-Man, the musical. Number 20, Dear Evan Hansen. Number 19, Beautiful, the Carol King musical. 18, Hairspray. 15, Mary wow. Poppins. 14, Kinky Boots. 13, Miss Saigon. Number 12, Aladdin. 11, Beauty and the Beast. Number 8, Jersey Boys. Number 5, Book of Mormon. Number 4, Chicago. Number 2, hmm. Wicked. Wicked. That was not my strong suit. I missed some that I should have gotten though. Damn. Was was yeah. in was Into the Woods on that list? Into the Woods is not on the list. Wow, that's kind of surprising. I I, I think they've it probably left Broadway too soon to make this list. It's kind of an older one. Okay. Dreamgirls was a musical on stage, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It just was probably a little too old to make a list like this. The not adjusted for inflation and since 1982 kind of skew it to the more recent stuff. All right, here's our last list. Uh, we'll see how this goes. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. 
in honor of uh so we're recording this it's sunday july 5th yesterday was the 4th of july independence day in honor of independence day uh you are going to name all of the films that any of the four of us have seen that are on our website that start with the word america or american there are 33 movies that at least one of us have seen that start with either the word America or American. And, like, the doesn't count. A, so, like, if there's a the, it, it still counts as starting with America or American. Okay? Zach, you're first on this one. Whenever you're ready. American Pie. American Pie is correct. American Splendor. American Splendor is correct. So these are all movies that all of us have seen? That at least one of us have seen, so they're on our website. I just okay. took this list straight from the website. American Pie 2. American Pie 2 is correct. American Wedding. American Wedding is correct. Oh, man. Should I say American Pie Bandcamp? I don't think we've seen that, though. I really want to watch that after watching the, the DVD for a 40-year-old version. I'm going to go with American Beauty. American Beauty is correct. The better the better option. <laughs> yes, the better option. Todd? Uh, the American President. The American President is correct. Our movie that Zach. Terry and I saw in a theater, middle of a frosty run, American Gangster. Classic. American Gangster is correct. Uh, American Gigolo. American Gigolo is correct. Um, an American in Paris. Where does that count? Uh, Since it's that and. Count. It, it counts, but I don't have it on the list, but I think that's because if we haven't gone back... I haven't updated back that far, but I'm giving it to you because we've we've seen it. So I've seen it. Counts. Yeah, correct. Oh wait, no, there it is. There it is. I found it. American in Paris. Correct. American Psycho. American Psycho is correct. American movie. Great documentary. Uh, American movie is correct. American. Factory, not a great documentary, oh. but an okay one. Correct. That's, I disagree. Better than RBG. <laughs> At least we can agree on that. Zach. Um, uh, an American Tale, Fievel Goes West. American Tale, Fievel Goes West is correct. Yes. American Werewolf in London. American Werewolf in London is correct. Um, this is a great list. You guys are doing awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I have one, but I don't know if this was a movie or not. I'll just go with it. Screw it. American Made? Is that the Tom Cruise movie? American Made is correct. All right. Pulled that out of my ass. Todd. Amer American Hustle. American Hustle is correct. Zach. Uh, American Woman. 
American woman is correct. Todd. American sniper. American sniper is correct. How Zach. many are there left? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Amer American History X. American History X is correct. We didn't say American Reunion, did we? You did not say American oh. Reunion. That is correct. <laughs> American Graffiti. American Graffiti is one of those that should be on the list but isn't, so I'm giving it to you. Correct. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. America, America. America, America is correct. Oh, Ilya Kazan, right? Nice. Uh, Sounds right. Okay, what about The American with um, George Clooney? Does that count? That is correct. <laughs> America's Sweethearts? America's Sweethearts is correct. Oh, wow. <laughs> you guys are going a lot deeper in this list than I thought you were going to. Zach, it's to you. Ameri you currently have a one-point lead. American Animals. American Animals is that correct. That heist movie wasn't that good. American Psycho 2. American Psycho 2. All-American oh, Girl is correct. <laughs> Zach, it's to you. Oh, man. There are eight left. Was there an American werewolf in Paris? Um, if there was, I don't think we've seen it. Ah, okay. So, well, then I get Zach up. is out. He I'm is out. He's up by one, Todd. You need one to tie, two to win. American Honey. American oh. Honey is correct. Good call. Can you get one more? Heidi. American. Uh, An American Crime. American Crime is correct. <laughs> nice. What a... is that? I've never even heard of that. That's a Catherine Keener like made for Ellen TV Page, movie. right? El Catherine Keener, Ellen Page, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, are you, are you, okay, so the ones we missed were uh, America, Imagine the World Without Her. What the hell is that? Uh, American Dreams. Oh, with, uh, yeah, with, with Hugh Grant, right? Yeah, an yeah. American Haunting. Oh. Um, American Heart. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, like, Edward Furlong movie. Isn't he uh, that? Zach said Five Goes West, but nobody said the original, An American Tale. I didn't, I didn't know there nice. was another one. Yeah, we said the sequel, but we didn't say the original. And then uh, the last one that you guys missed was American Ultra. Oh, yeah, I just watched that not that long ago. Isn't that Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart? Yeah. yeah. By, the, by the way, American Werewolf in Paris is a movie. We just haven't is it? seen it. I should, just, I should get a half point for that, at least. Not that that matters. We just haven't well, then, seen it. Then, then with a score of 18 to 17 and a half, Todd wins. There we go. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was fun. You guys did a lot better on that than I thought you were going to. Honestly, I, Zach, I thought you were going to do a little better on the musicals. So that's why I had Todd go first there. And then I had you go first on the American ones. Yeah.
Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up with our quote of the day. Todd, you won. You get first uh, first say here. Okay, it comes from my uh, worst movie of the Oscar-nominated movies of the 2010s, August Osage County. It's a, an exchange <laughs> between Julianne Nicholson, nice. Juliette Lewis, and Julia Roberts. Uh, one of them says, marriage is hard. And then the other one says, that's one thing you about mom and dad. You gotta tip your hat to anybody who can stay married that long. And the other one says, Karen, he killed himself. And I think we can all relate when we watch that movie. <laughs> Except Terry hasn't seen it. I haven't seen it. I, I, w- I, w- I, won't, I won't assign you that movie, don't worry. Oh, okay. All right, uh, Zach, you're next. It's not actually that. It is a terrible movie, but it's entertainingly bad. It's like Robert Altman's, like, Ready to Wear. Like, just it's just a, 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 it's a train wreck, but it's an entertaining train wreck. So I couldn't quite put it on my list, but I respect all of your feelings toward it, Todd. I, I agree. Um, my uh, quote comes from uh, Roger Ebert's review of The Spectacular Now, which was one of his very last reviews. He gave it four stars. I'm sure it would have been in his best of 2013 list had he been alive long enough to make that list. And uh, this is the first two sentences from his review, and I think it's apt. Here is a lovely film about two high school seniors who look, speak, and feel like real 18-year-old middle American human beings. Do you have any idea how rare that is? And uh, I think that's apt because of some of the recent movies we've talked about, like Clueless, uh, like Never Rarely, uh, Sometimes Always, which uh, is very uh, authentic, and uh, a movie that does not contain authentic 18-year-olds, and that is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But, you know, um, it's difficult to do, and uh, yeah, Roger saw the greatness in that movie. All right. I like it. So I get last word. My my quote comes from Desperados. Oh, no. Um... And, and it was one of the few things I laughed at, and as soon as I heard it, I knew it had to be my quote of the day for, uh, for our podcast. Uh, this is said by uh, Wesley, played by Nassim Pedrad. She's talking to Sean, played by Lamorne Morris, and she simply says, I know you want to ask if this is a good idea, and the answer is, shut up. <laughs> that was a good one. That was one of the few lines I, I, I actually laughed at. And I think it sometimes, you know, describes this podcast. Is this a good idea? And the answer is, shut up. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find us at almostsideways.com. Subscribe, rate, review to our podcast. We, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. You can also now find us on Stitcher. So you can look for us on there. Uh, We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.